Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word written. It speaks to us, but especially we thank you for your word given in your Son, Jesus Christ. May he speak to us today. This we pray in Jesus, in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. As we continue in our series on the book and person of Ruth, the theme for today is faithfulness. And I want us to think about this as we go through some of the scriptures and, and the illustrations that I'm trying to give this morning, to think about it in terms of how we are faithful one to another. We certainly value and, and preach and share the notion of being faithful to God. But above all, I think we need to keep in the back of our minds that we are only really able to consistently be faithful to one another and to God if we understand and believe first and foremost that God is a faithful God. That God is the God who always keeps his promises. That God is, is the God whose steadfast love endures forever, whose mercies never come to an end. That is the foundation of our faith. And so let's keep that in mind as we begin to talk about faithfulness in the lives of our saints here in the scripture. You've just heard the story of Ruth and of really in some ways, this first chapter is, is, is the story of Naomi and the great uh, uh, lament and tragedy of Naomi's life. She and her husband find themselves in a, in a stressed place in their homeland. They go to the land of Moab, and they go uh, just basically to find a place where they can perhaps work on somebody's farm, get some food, uh, and, and survive. And in the course of that season, not only does Naomi's husband die, but her two sons as well. And so we, we come upon this story as as Ruth is saying, I've got to go back to my homeland. My husband is no longer with me, my son's no longer with me, but he, she has these two daughters-in-law who love her, whose deep desire apparently is to be faithful to her and to, because she has been faithful to them. There is a kind of reciprocal affection and commitment personally one to another. And literally they are on their way and Ruth says no to her daughters-in-law. You can't go with me because you don't belong in that land. You belong in this land. 
Now there's a history there. Most of you know it. Or if you don't, I'll fill, it, I'll fill in the back story. The history there is when the Israelites were coming up from the desert and preparing to enter the land that the Lord their God had given them, the people of Moab did not want them to cross their territory. You remember the story of Barak and Balaam. That's, those are the Moabites, basically. Barak was the king of Moab, and he calls this, I don't know if Balaam was really a prophet, but he calls this guy who apparently sometimes gets messages from God to come and curse the Israelites. You remember the story with the donkey and all of that, and the donkey seems to be more in touch with God and his messengers than the prophet does. And there's also kind of a tail end to that story where, where uh, 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 Balaam uh, actually uh, tries to corrupt the, the men of Israel by uh, having them marry foreign wives and, and, and be seduced into the worship of idols. There's a, lot, there's a, bad, there's a whole bad history between these peoples And there's a whole message in that in itself, isn't it? How was it? It must have been an extreme situation for Elimelech and Naomi to go and take their sons to Moab to begin with. But the idea of having these Moabite women come back to Israel to come across the Jordan and come back to uh, the, the area around Bethlehem is difficult, and Naomi knew it. It's interesting that only one of the daughters finally comes back. As much as they love her, only Ruth is so committed that she cries out and says, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I'm an old guy, and, and I was brought up on the King James Bible. And the, the line is, entreat me not to leave thee. She says, don't, don't make me leave you. Your people will be my people. This is a powerful word for a woman who was from a, a, a group of people who had been separated for generations. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. And if I leave you before I die, let God take my life. That's what she's saying. That's a powerful word. And I suspect though it doesn't say here, that Ruth had made a deep and powerful commitment to the God who is faithful. And it was only by Jehovah's spirit that she could say those words because she faced rejection just by crossing over that river. 
She faced being uh, considered an outcast. And her mother-in-law was already uh, sensing or feeling that she was outcast because somehow God had rejected her by taking her husband and her two sons. This is a hard, hard story as it begins, as, as the first chapter opens. Now I want to change the scenery a little bit and tell you a story from my own history. But I want, it, I want you to understand how complicated these relationships can be, and that's why I'm telling you the story. I have a very good friend. In fact, uh, there's a couple in this congregation that know him. His name is Quinn Wilhelm. He's a police detective, now retired, but when he was active in his work as a white policeman, he was also uh, a participant in what in those days was called promise keepers. I don't know how many, how, how far it, it, it dispersed from Colorado to, to Texas. Uh, I, I know sometimes Colorado things don't get, make it down here. Uh, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> Tim, Tim and Annie managed to make that, that, that trip. Uh, in any case, so he was, uh, my friend Quinn was going to a small group of men who had been to the Promise Keepers retreat and were now getting together to strengthen and, and uh, reinforce each other in their walk in the Lord. And at the time, <clears throat> uh, uh, Quinn, Quinn was the, uh, what we call in the, called in the Episcopal Church the senior warden who was head of our board. Well, there was another man in his small group who was the head deacon in his Baptist church. It was what they call a national Baptist church. I don't know if you know what that means. That means they were African American. So here is a white policeman, and here's an African American small businessman, and they're in this group together, and God does something to knit them together relationally. And in the context of this small group, these are both men who are faithful to God, who believe in the faithfulness of God. This guy shares a burden that he has. He's the head of their deacon's board, and he's concerned that because Financially, they've been in a hard place as a church and as a, as a community, I, I guess, that they're behind on their mortgage payments. Uh, behind like to, th I think it was $30,000 behind. And uh, there was a lot of prayer and there was a lot of talk around this in the small group. But my friend Quinn came to me. Uh, 
that was probably on a Saturday. It was probably a Saturday afternoon or evening. He came to me and he said, as I've been praying about this and about my new friend who's in a similar position as head of the board in this other church, I think God wants us And he said it this way. He said, I believe that God wants us to put out a call on Sunday Sunday morning at the main service at Christ Episcopal Church and say, what can we do to help our brothers? What can we do to support these fellow Christians in spite of all the things that separate us? Not exactly Israel and Moab, but we need to recognize that even today, or maybe even especially today, that Sunday mornings, people in church is probably one of the most segregated times in our culture, in our society. It was certainly true in Dr. King's day. It's still true today this many years later. And this was 20 years ago. And it was interesting. I'm a person who believes in decorum in church. And this was going to disrupt the decorum, particularly of this church. But he was the senior warden. He was the head of the board. He, had, he, he came with this sincere uh, request. And I felt in my heart, somehow, in my gut, if you will, I felt a yes and an amen. I believed that the Lord was behind this. But I didn't have a lot of faith in the response of the congregation. Well, goodness knows, my friend got up. He gave a plea. It was very simple. He was saying these people could lose their church, their building, and they're good people. I've met their ward, their, 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 the chairman of their board. And he just sat down. Uh, I, I think I got up and I said, well, if you want to contribute, um, write a check and put something on the bottom that says Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And we went on with our service. On Monday, the treasurer called me up. He said, you're not gonna believe this. We just raised $60,000 for a group of people that we don't know who are not like us. (laughs) and uh, it was amazing it was amazing now it was extraordinary because we had well I won't even tell you the details but there were amazing details we had an elder couple who had who had uh, who had invested in stocks, and they said, we kind of need to sell those stocks but if we give the proceeds away (laughs) It, it's good for us, good for our taxes. We had another young woman, a young woman who had just inherited 
a, a substantial amount of money and she was a godly Christian and she said, I need to give this away but I know I've already given to this church, let's give it away. And that's how we made the $60,000. It was extraordinary things. And then a great number of people who just put 20 or 30 or 50 or $100 of extra money into the the, uh, plate that day. But not only that, there there was an explosion of concern among our people uh, and all of a sudden, all of our men's group began to organize and say, let's get to know these guys because we've been to the, to the promise keepers. We believe in, in, in this uh, unity among our churches and especially among men who are believers. And they began, our, our men's groups began to meet together. And they discovered that there were things uh, things that needed maintenance around the church, pretty, pretty big kind of maintenance that needed uh, professionals or at least uh, ed- I would call them advanced amateur carpenters and, and technicians. And suddenly there was not just a one-time thing or a, a giftedness that, that relieved a certain pressure on these people but we began to meet together. We began to have periodically have exchanges of, of pastors giving sermons, having joint services, and God did something that we had never intended, but it was because of his faithfulness that he taught us how to begin to have a faithful relationship with people who were very different from us. And I'm not just talking about the color of our skin. I'm talking about the rhythm of their culture. I'm talking about, uh, about where they live and, 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 and often the economics of their lives. That's a reality that we need to face. Now why am I talking about this? because I want to say to you, if we believe in a faithful God, who while we were yet sinners, sent his only son to die on our behalf, when we believe in such a God, I don't know how to say this in the right way that doesn't sound like just another religious platitude. It has to be real that the impossible things that we don't think could ever happen, that black folks and white folks could meet together and worship Jesus together and help one another because there were all kinds of relationships that grew out of that, a kind of faithfulness. People went into business partnerships as a result of that. There were people who were stressed and, 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 and uh, in trouble who, who, who found a friend that they never would have thought could have been a friend in those situations. We had a wonderful, our women wanted to go on a retreat and the, and the women from Mount Carmel said, 
Let's do it together. And they did it together, and it was the most incredible experience for both of them. <laughs> and, and wonderful things happened. They wanted to have Holy Communion. And we said, well, we don't have any women priests. I'm being, you know, that's just telling the truth. And, and the Mount Carmel women said, well, we can do it. And they did. And they did it in their way, and God was glorified, and the people were blessed. Now, what am I saying here? We have had an incredible, an, an incredibly difficult year, have we not, as a nation, as a community, as a congregation. Some of us, it's been very personal with sickness, with death. And I guess the challenge is, do we believe in a faithful God? Do we believe in a faithful God? Toward the end of Ruth's, of this story of Naomi in Ruth chapter one, Naomi cries out. She sees her old friends from the village, and they say, is this Naomi? And her name means pleasantness. It means this is a, a lovely, pleasant, beautiful woman. And she says, I don't want to be, I'm not Naomi anymore. I'm Mara. I'm bitterness because I have felt God's bitterness, and I've become bitter in my distress. She laments, and she even questions the faithfulness of God, doesn't she, in, the, in those statements toward the end of the chapter. She begins to doubt God's faithfulness, and yet in this Moabite woman, who isn't supposed to believe in the God of Israel, who isn't supposed to be a member of that community. She is showing God's faithfulness even as Naomi speaks, and it is eventually through Ruth we will see as we look ahead in this chapter that God has great things in store, not only for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. And in a strange and wonderful way for us because we learn that Ruth is one of the ancestors of the Lord Jesus. When St. Paul talks about that Jesus, the Son of God, has broken down dividing walls. This is what he's talking about. And he, God, the God of Israel, was breaking down those walls long before even Jesus came among us. So how? How do we need God to do the impossible among us? to break down the walls of division between, within this congregation, 
to break down the walls that we've put up because of our politics, to break down the walls that we've put up because, you know, we're white folks that live on the right side of town, to, to break down the walls, whatever they are in our lives, between those people that we've fallen out from in our family. God, who is faithful, will restore those relationships and show us how to be faithful one to another again because we put him in the center. Because we say we're all believers in Jesus and we're all faithful to him and through him we're learning how to be faithful one to another. Let us pray. Oh, Father, come and be with us. Come and restore us. Come and heal us. Come and show us how to love one another in a better way. Come and show us how to reach out beyond ourselves and our comfortable place. Show us your faithfulness. And we ask all of this in the name of the one who is faithful, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.